and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Sound of Metal, and I'm very happy to be joined by my friend Kayla Mead to discuss this one. Kayla, thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, so Sound of Metal tells the story of Ruben Stone, who is played by Riz Ahmed. Ruben is a drummer in a heavy metal band with his girlfriend Lou, who is the singer for the band. One day before a show, he starts to have some sensations in his ears and has some trouble hearing. Uh, he goes through with his show uh, that night anyway and wakes up the next morning having even bigger problems with his hearing and goes to an audiologist who tells him he needs to preserve the hearing he has because he's losing all of it to stay away from any loud noises until he can get get things under control and figure out what he's going to do moving forward. He proceeds to play in his next show, and his hearing gets even worse. In an attempt to make the most of his situation until he can save up the money for cochlear implants, he goes to stay in a community for recovered deaf addicts, as he is a former drug addict himself who became clean once he got together with Lou. I asked Kayla to join me on this podcast today because she uh, is well-versed in all this terminology as she works in speech-language pathology and is currently Currently, uh, actually, Kayla, I'll let you uh, give give, a, give your uh, give your bona fides for a minute. So, can you talk about a little bit about what it is that you do for work before we get to the movie itself, and uh, kind of how your how how the nature of your work and your studies touches on uh, deaf culture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'll go all the way back to undergrad. Um, oh, okay. During undergrad at UF, I took sign language. I did all three courses worth of it. I took deaf culture. I was also a TA for sign language as well. Hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of exposure to the language on my undergraduate side of the studies. And then now I am currently in my master's program for speech language pathology. I graduate in August. Um, and as part of my program, I actually work in the schools. Um, I am a public school speech therapist. I can't call myself a speech pathologist yet because I haven't completed my master's, but I have completed all my required coursework and all I have left are electives, so I'm almost there. Um, currently, I work with about 50 students. I have currently I have one student who is deaf, hard of hearing on my nope two two students who are deaf, hard of hearing on my caseload, and. It is difficult when you're in a rural area like where I work to find a deaf community, but once you find one, people are very, very ingrained into it um, because language is culture, and American Sign Language is a recognized language. It does have its own unique um, syntax, so its own unique like grammar order, and so it's not the same as what you're seeing a lot in the video or in the movie that Riz Ahmed specifically does. He does what's called sign English, where he's essentially signing in the order of English language order. I did not know that was actually a... I mean, I figured people might talk like that when they only have a rudimentary understanding of uh, sign language. I didn't realize that was actually like a, a, there was a distinct term for that. Yeah, so that's, um, that's one reason why being a sign language interpreter is so incredibly challenging is... I mean, like with all interpreters, you're having to change into, you know, a different language, different grammar order. And so you see with those who you can tell are truly deaf individuals, deaf actors, they are signing in American Sign Language. But there's a lot of signed English that happens in the movie as well. So I've had a lot of exposure to, you know, deaf culture, deaf community. Um, those who are deaf and hard of hearing, I do not consider my part, myself part of, you know, a deaf community. I am an ally. Um, I am, you know, proxy to the community, but I fully, you know, will admit I am not part of the deaf community. Well, no, but you, uh, you, you know more about it than most people I know. So I'm very glad that you're here and you're happy to watch this movie and talk about it with me because I think there's a lot to unpack. And I think I think the most important thing you just said for the purposes of this movie is that uh, once you do find one of those communities, like it's a very it's a very tight knit thing and and it can be a very important space for those people. So uh, I don't want to start off too broad for you, but I will ask then. First of all, you can give your uh, general opinion. What, what overall did you enjoy the movie and 
how did you feel? Because there probably aren't a lot of depictions of these kind of communities in popular culture that are going to be as widely seen as this one. You know, you might have a, a deaf character pop up every now and then in a show, but uh, it's not necessarily the center of a lot of widely seen popular culture. So taking that into account, uh, what did you? Th- how did you enjoy the movie overall? And did you think it did a good job of uh, kind of capturing what it means to be a part of one of these communities? As, as, as well as you can say as someone who, again, is not a part of them but is adjacent to them. So I think it did a really great job um, on it where I think that based on what I've seen in the video or not video, but in the movie, as well as, you know, my exposure to culture for like, for example, when we would do when I was in ASL at UF, um, we would take time and we would go to the Florida School of Deaf and Blind and we would go in and have those. Um, have that exposure and all of our professors were deaf and they would explain this kind of culture to us. And the only other movie I can think of off the top of my head that even is in the same ballpark of, you know, explaining deaf culture is children of a lesser God, which is, you know, very, very well known um, to have, you know, Marley Matlin won her first award for that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was also Switched Up Birth, which was that show which featured, right. you know, some aspects of deaf community, deaf schooling. And then you also have, once again, Marley Matlin in The West Wing. And so it does a great job of showing that community piece to it, showing schools. Um, and I thought that was a very wonderful, beautiful thing they did because... You know, the community isn't just a group of adults. First of all, I what I'll say is I think you said wonderful and beautiful is what stuck out to me because just based on like I don't even remember if I watched a trailer for the movie, but based on the name of the movie and maybe things I saw here and there and the, even the first like 10 minutes of this movie, I just thought it was going to be like a loud, angry movie about a guy making a bunch of self-destructive decisions. Because that's kind of what he does when he first initially gets his diagnosis. He does something self-destructive. And I'm like, man, am I about to just like, is this movie just going to be a tough hang where I'm just going to watch this guy like just ruin his life over the course of a movie? And even, I mean, I think Riz Ahmed gives a really great performance. He's clearly on edge. You feel like things could go south for him at any moment. But at the same time, he obviously ends up embracing this communion. It's like a very warm movie. And I went into it just ex- just expecting a really tough hang. And it certainly is not that... And I just found it like a pleasure to see just how embraced he ends up becoming in this community. And uh, I mean, it makes it all the more heartbreaking when things kind of go in a different direction later in the movie. But I thought it was really cool to see how, you know, someone can uh, find a lot of purpose in there and uh, can really have their world open if they've gone through something like that. If they, you know, uh, embrace it with the right mindset that uh, he ultimately seems to do. And Uh, And I think part of what makes that even part of what aids the movie in accomplishing that. And I know you have a lot of specific thoughts on the sound mixing. And I think you even uh, picked up on more stuff than I did in watching it. But what you're hearing, it kind of dips in and out of different perspectives of the characters. It'll have all of a sudden you'll be hearing what he's hearing. You'll be hearing what's going on externally. It kind of changes as he learns ASL. And I think the movie just really does a great job of not only showing like not only showing you just through his interactions with the people, but also just in what you can hear as an audience member and how he goes on that journey. And it really makes it a really fulfilling experience. Yeah, it definitely, the big idea of the whole thing is change and accepting change. That's the big message throughout it all. Um, You know, not trying to skip forward to the end, but the last scene shows that moment of acceptance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that moment of embracing, you know, that new world and that new environment. Well, yeah. So I guess I don't know. I, 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 because you said that you said that word environment and you'd, you'd already mentioned to me earlier how you wanted when I rewatched the movie, how you wanted me to pay attention to the sound mixing, especially in the first 20 minutes of the movie. And I think you might have picked up on other stuff that I didn't even because I honestly don't know if I noticed a ton until he is outside setting up merchandise at that show. And all of a sudden, you know, first begins to have the hearing problems come on. And then they do certain things with from his perspective when he can't hear anything the next morning. But I'm wondering what else you picked up on in the movie uh, audibly that uh, kind of tipped you off to them doing some different interesting things with the sound and how that how that aided the plot. Well, my 
ears are a little more trained than you are. <laughs> Yours are for, yeah, true, true, true. for various different reasons. But with it, the way it's mixed is that the environmental sounds begin very loud. And it's, you know, you will, most people will perceive that first scene of them in the RV as silence because there's no dialogue. But if you really think about it, it's like, oh, here's the sound of, you know, the blender. Here's the sound of the fork hitting the plate. It's the sounds of their but life. Sounds of your life, your environmental sounds. And most people would perceive that as, oh, it's a silent, quiet morning. It's like, no, your world actually isn't silent, isn't quiet. And then it has the scene where they're going, you know, the first road trip scene that you you know, that you're witnessing here in the film where it is, you know, them talking, them chatting, you hear, you know, road sounds, you hear music in the background from the radio, Hmm. you hear all these environmental sounds, and it's just kind of perceived as essentially like a cutscene. But then about 20 minutes into the movie, I didn't pay attention to the actual, you know, timer on there, but all those environmental sounds started getting cut out. Hmm. They were diminishing. You hear that, um, the ringing sound in the ear. And when you hear from there, things start diminishing. It starts to sound like things are underwater. And so that, that shift, you know, not only do you see Riz Ahmed getting, you know, visibly and physically stressed about losing his hearing, you don't realize it, but you're also experiencing it with him. You're experiencing environmental sounds before and environmental sounds after. Like, you are hearing those changes. Yeah, one other smart thing I think the movie does that uh, puts you right there with them is that you're almost trained uh, in watching, whether it be a foreign film or something where there's people speaking sign language, to have, like, uh, closed captioning come on or, you know, Mm -hmm. actual captions there telling you what's going on. And they don't do that for you for, like, uh, for for like a lot of this movie up and up until he learns it, uh, right? And, and which is like I I just thought it was like a really smart choice because not only does it it it, it kind of tells you what he's going through, but it it, I mean, it makes it clear that like you get you I, I found myself getting frustrated watching it, and I'm like, wait, that's kind of the point because he's probably super super frustrated too. And I thought it was really smart that the movie's like, yeah, we're not gonna like hold your hand through this because he's not getting his hand held through this. And once he actually learns it, and then you'll get the kind of experience how he's feeling once he actually learns it too and then we'll put the closed captioning up there for you at that point because you're now you'll feel like a lot more comfortable like ruben does and i thought that was just like a, a super smart choice because i mean they could have put the words up there for us and made it clear that he didn't understand them but i kind of like how it p- that puts you right in the same right in the same position as ruben but also at the same time um i'm having a feeling that you're kind of alluding towards that dinner scene where there's so much visually happening because sign language is, you know, a visual language. There's multiple conversations going on and you wouldn't necessarily be able to caption each individual conversation that's going across that table. So, I mean, on the one side, yes, they are absolutely, absolutely making it where you are in it with him. But at the same time, it's like not practical to put captions for, you know, four different conversations across well, the table. Well, I, well, wouldn't well, no, do th- that. That, yeah, that's true. I was actually thinking of like a lot of the conversations he just had with people up until that scene, even in there when it's like one person and oh, they're yeah. having to like, they're having to type stuff on the computer for him and there's stuff going on and they're having to, uh, or he's had, like having one conversation. I, I basically meant any interaction he had up until he learns ASL, but that dinner table scene is also like very telling and like has to be super intimidating for him as well. I totally agree. But I, 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 no, I, I, I was thinking about a couple other instances of like people just, uh, sign signing in his presence and when he hadn't learned it yet, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it is super, super overwhelming. That's one reason why, you know, we would have silent dinners at, um, for, you know, my ASL classes. So you would be exposed and you go in as, you know, a student learning <laughs> the basic things to seeing sign language three going at it. But that's the easiest way to pick it up. The easiest way to learn language is to use language. And so, yeah, it's overwhelming, but that's why it appears that he learns it as quickly as he does too. No. Yeah. So it, 
I mean, it's so great how they did that. I was even looking it up. I'm like, all right, who, like, who in the writer's room or any of them deaf? Like, how did they, how did they capture this? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it helped having uh, Paul Ricci around because Paul, he's the guy that plays Joe, who uh, he is a well, – actually, I apologize. I should know if it's Ricci or Ricci. I'm not sure off the top of my head. But he, he plays Joe, who runs the rehabilitation center that uh, Ruben goes to or the, the deaf community that he goes to for addicts. And he, uh, Paul was a, a child of deaf people. He he hears – he plays Joe. Coda. Excuse me? They're called Coda, Children of Deaf oh, Adults. Okay, gotcha. So, and his, his character, though, is deaf and can read lips, mm-hmm. though, which, I mean, is another interesting thing because uh, I know that's a whole other kind of thing with the amount of effort that oh, even don't takes. Oh, don't even. To- oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my soapboxes, reading lips is ridiculous because, you know, here I am putting on my speech hat. Like, most of the sounds you make are inside your mouth. So you're going to miss most of what they say. And that's one thing he says. You know, in the thing, he's like, I'm going to miss some things, what you're saying, but I'm going to get the big idea. No, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, so that, that that's what his character is. So I'm sure it helped having him around because apparently he works as an ASL interpreter and grew up in the deaf community. I think sign language was his first language is what I read. Uh, so helped having him around. But it, it did feel like, I mean, they obviously uh, really did their homework. And I, I think there's obviously a version of this movie that isn't – that probably – isn't as sensitive to a lot of these issues as this movie ultimately is. And I think part of what I really love about it is that, uh, it's real. it's kind of a movie without a bad guy, uh, which, yeah. uh, which, which I really like. It's just I mean, a human experience. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the circumstances are just like very, very tough and, uh, no, no one's ever really even in the wrong necessarily. Like even some movies that don't have uh, traditional, uh, traditional villains, you know, they might have someone that's like, uh, clearly in the wrong. And I think it, it takes a really interesting approach to that. And that's, uh, kind of what i wanted to talk about next we'll, we'll go into a little bit of the spoiler section and i think uh you know kayla might have some other nitpicks that re- that relate to some of the stuff that happens in the latter half of this movie but i think it's safe to both say that it's a very interesting story about a guy who goes through a very particular experience and uh really learns something about himself and i think uh in in the movie does a great job of teaching its audience about another community uh kayla do you have any other just like non-spoilery thoughts you want to um, impart to the listeners before we kind of move on. I know it's kind of a little early in the podcast for that, but I want to be able to fr- speak freely about everything else that happens the rest of the movie. I think my biggest like non-spoiler thing is, you know, it's really important to learn about people in your community and there's a lot of deaf members in your community. So watch this, learn something because honestly, this is something that could happen to you. Um, my mom is trying to learn sign language because her hearing is going down. Our hearing goes down as we age. So like, watch it, learn from it. You know, yes, it's a fictionalized movie, but like, you know, try not to like spoil anything. Like take the time to watch this. And if you're listening to the podcast, you probably already have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I just, know, I mean, in case like, someone decided to click on it, and every now and then I do know people that try and listen to these things without watching the movies. So uh, we would definitely both recommend that anyone that hasn't already watched it leave now. Uh, or if you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. But I mean, we're going to get into some other plot points and stuff, and you can go watch the rest of it and then come back and listen to the rest of our talk. But I don't know. Kayla, K- K- one thing that. It, it, it is interesting about the movie is that it, for a minute it looks like, hey, maybe he's just going to, you know, uh, disc- I mean, it's a movie, so you don't think it's going to be happily ever after when you're like an hour and ten minutes in. But it looks like for a second, like, oh, maybe he's really found peace in this community and he's found somewhere he can, you know, f- be fulfilled for the rest of his life. He ends up watching a musical performance that Lou is giving elsewhere um, without him. Uh, can't really listen to it, but it sets him off. Uh, and he, he, he's kind of renewed in his uh, intention to go get cochlear implants and ends up, Ruben ends up selling his, uh, his music equipment and his RV to, to make that happen. And he, he'd already mentioned the implants to Joe earlier in the movie, but in Joe, I think in response to that, it said here, we don't view, uh, hearing as a disability, as something that you, uh, have to live with. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, something that you end up it's it, we have our own community and it's, it's just, not a handicap right not not a handicap not a disability but he doesn't really give a lot of uh give give a lot of like an in-depth uh explanation as to all what everything that means beyond the, the statement in and of itself and we come to learn well, i mean 
Sorry, you can finish the thought. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we, we don't really he, – he says that in response to Ruben saying, hey, I'm just here until I can get these implants. But we don't uh, necessarily fully understand what the uh, consequences would be uh, if he were to get the implants until he actually tells Joe what they are, what, what he did. Yeah. So he No, he knew. Joe knew when he said the implants. He knew. It's um, Cochlear implants are a very hot topic in the deaf community. Mm-hmm. And – the reason for that is, is because they don't view, I say, you know, they as in that community, um, they do not view the hearing loss as a handicap. Because think of it, all of us have our senses and you can't not do things because you can't hear is what comes down to. It's one thing, you know, if you lose your sense of sight, you can't drive, you, you know, you may not be able to read. Um, There's a lot of things you cannot do because you cannot see. But that's not the same thing with, you know, having hearing loss. Uh, Just because, you know, my taste palate is much stronger than yours doesn't mean you have a disability because that one sense is lowered. Right. So it's not a handicap. You can't not do things because you're deaf. Mm -hmm. And so that's one reason why it's very controversial. It's just it's a loss. You know, you get, you get the flu and you have a loss of taste. You're not handicapped because of it. And so because it's not a handicap, it doesn't need to be fixed. And so by the cochlear implants, it, um, it seems like you're trying to fix this thing that isn't broken. And it's very, very controversial. And the reason why... Ruben wants him so badly as he's used to being in the hearing world and he wants to be in the hearing world because that's the world he knows. And, you know, as we go through the movie, we see him become more comfortable with deaf, with deafness. And as he becomes more comfortable with deafness and more comfortable with his, you know, deaf world, his new world, this change in his life, He becomes to accept that and accept that role. But as you were saying that, you know, when he sees Lou, he's like, wait a second, that's the world I've always been in. That's the world I want to be in. And so he, you know, has this incredibly, incredibly invasive procedure. If you want me to go into it, I will. I'm not an audiologist, but I do have exposure to it, you know, about, you know, about those (laughs) cochlea, I lost my train of thought. But it is. It's very invasive. Yeah, know? I mean, they, they they don't make it sound too pleasant. They uh, bypass in the ear canal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So so what it is is that essentially they, you know, make an incision, as you see with his scars, back here in this temporal bone. Ugh. And they insert an electrode into the cochlea where they're bypassing, you know, any sound transmission into the ear, they're um, bypassing those bones in your ear, those hair cells, and they're sending an electrical impulse straight to that cochlea so your brain can read sound. Hmm. And so it is incredibly, incredibly invasive. And the fact that he did it bilaterally, he has, you know, one for essentially each ear, incredibly invasive. They literally had to drill into his skull and insert an electrode that provides digital sound and so that's one reason why i'm like super on the sound mixing piece of it because they incorporate so much of that digital metallic sound i actually had a really cool experience where i had worked with a student who was deaf and he um i was picking on him a little bit I was like, are you not listening to me or are your hearing aid batteries out? What's going on? And he didn't use a cochlear implant. He used something different, but he let me try out his hearing aid and it goes on the bone, like right there behind your ear and it bypasses the ear and it gives, you know, bone conduction sound. Mm. And it was really, really digital. So for me, like hearing that in the sound mixing was super incredible. I was like, whoa, like they're figuring this out. 
Yeah, so well, I, I, two parts of that. I want to ask about the actual mechanics and how they depict that, but also I want to get back to you. You talked about this, uh, the, the, uh, the how divisive that procedure is within the community because, you know, again, about them uh, not seeing it as a handicap and how, uh, in a way, that's what it's seen as treating it as if you do get the surgery. I mean, you, you would know better than me. I think I, 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 I thought that the movie handled that well. I mean, my point in saying that, like, we didn't hear exactly the consequences of what would happen. Like, I don't think we knew that Joe would necessarily kick someone out for getting it, and that catches Ruben off guard, too. He doesn't quite realize that uh, Joe's going to have that reaction, even if he didn't think Joe was necessarily going to be thrilled he got the procedure. And I think it's a really great scene when they do talk about it, because Joe obviously cares for him, but he has a certain way he is— he has grown this community and a certain uh, set of uh, an understanding they have about how they are going to live and what their attitudes are going to be towards these things. And he has a, uh, he has a lot of sympathy for Ruben, but at the same time, he's not going to, you know, make an exception for him. And uh, while well, Ruben, we totally understand he's used to one life. If he sees a chance at another one to get back to his old life, I don't think we blame him for taking that chance. So it's a, it's a very powerful scene where you can totally understand where both sides are coming from. And I really liked how uh, the movie pulled that off and uh, gave credence to both points of view. Uh, how did you feel the movie handled the reaction to Ruben making such a drastic decision? I think they did really well on it. Um, he, like Joe, never outright told him he was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like no, that, you were that's wrong. A good, that's a good. That's a good point. That is um, a good point. Yeah. He was just like you know I. The conversation he had, it was never okay. You made the wrong choice by getting the cochlear implant. It was more of you know I thought you have accepted this community. I thought you've accepted this way of life. You know, essentially saying like, I thought you have accepted your deafness and us as a community. And this is, you know, Joe is hurt. You thought, you know, he had that. And once again, I said, that's the big theme you're going to look at pretty much through this whole film is acceptance. Um, which, you know, as that's one big pillar to like mental health therapy, which I'm not versed in, but I know acceptance is a commitment and acceptance is a big piece of that. Um, they definitely you know, touched on that. So I think it was very, very disappointing for Joe that he thought he was moving forward with being committed and accepting this new life. And so he's like, you know, you don't want to be part of this community. You sold everything to get out of this community, and now you're asking for more from it. And he couldn't even let him hang around for like another day because just uh, it would have probably been pretty uh upsetting to a lot of the other members of the community to see him having made that choice yeah and i mean i don't know if you picked up on it or not but i saw a lot of shame in it um where he was just like oh yeah you know i did the deed like he wasn't trying to say it you know he was wearing his beanie to cover up his incisions and to cover up his bandages um so I saw it as there was a lot of shame involved there too, because it wasn't him going back to, you know, the friends he made in the community. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. He, I mean, he, there's, I, I definitely saw that he, he, he didn't totally feel great about telling Joe about it. That much is evident. Uh, he, he knew it was going to be a tough conversation and he, uh, he, I, he definitely, the, Riz Ahmed did a good job of just showing that on his face for sure. I, I I was curious, like, because I I just think that's the best scene of the movie. So I wanted to get your your thoughts on that. And I mean, it's one that probably should have gotten Paul Raccio some Oscar attention. I mean, I think he got some love from critics groups. That it's not going to happen. There's a good chance that Riz Ahmed's going to get an Oscar nomination for uh, best actor, which is which is not undeserved. But I want to talk about the uh, the actual technical components of it too, and how they depicted it once he got the implants. And I mean, I know you said you had some other clinical thoughts upon your rewatch of the movie. One thing that jumped out to me was that I feel like they would have told him before he got that surgery that his hearing wasn't going to be exactly back the way that it was before. And it seemed yeah, like he was kind of surprised was, about that. That was my big nitpick um, yeah. because that's one big part of it. The big part of it is counseling. His audiologist should have told him, um, you know, I kind of wish they would have like the first audiologist he saw, I wish they would have, you know, gone a little bit more into 
Like they were like, oh, all the sounds you hear are up here. But they didn't go into, hey, so your hearing levels are down here. So basically the only thing you can hear is a jet engine. Like that's how poor his, you know, hearing has become. That hearing loss has become that severe. But they should have told him, you know, when he's getting them, you know, tuned that I don't understand why they weren't like, you know, it's going to sound digital and, or for all we know, they did tell him and he just didn't believe it Right. kind of thing. Um, you know, that was a big nitpick of mine mm-hmm. where they were just like, he was surprised by it. Right. Uh, yeah. I was like, ah, it seems like he a doctor, doctor didn't like, right. A doctor probably didn't like, you know, do a good enough job of, you know, explaining all the uh, all the risks and side effects and consequences of a medical procedure as any doctor Until uh, it was should. a problem. All right. I was, he's like, it just doesn't sound right. And, you know, she's just kind of like, well, you're right. It doesn't sound right. It, it sounds like digital because that's what it is. It's like, well, why didn't you, why didn't you tell him this beforehand? <laughs> well, see, I, you know, the thing is, I mean, again, I, I found that did not ring totally true as to how a doctor would handle it. Though at the same time, I bet that wouldn't have deterred him from getting it. I bet he would have convinced himself that that would have allowed him to like at least get to a point where he could drum again, even if it wouldn't come in in his head the same way. So I bet he still gets the surgery. It was just kind of weird. Well, my other nitpick is with that. So if he's, if he's so musically inclined and he wants to listen to loose performances, why in the world is the first time he's realizing he can't enjoy music the same way with his cochlear implants? When she's singing, you mean he flew all the way from America to Belgium and didn't listen to a single song on an iPod or something like you mean to tell me he didn't walk through a grocery store and hear music and realize it's not the same. Right. Like for me, that's that's a big nitpick for me. If he's such a music based person who goes on a transatlantic flight, who goes on a transatlantic flight and doesn't put anything in their ears, you know? Well, I mean, he can't put them in his ears. He doesn't hear through his ears anymore. He hears through his cochlea. But you can have over-the-ear headphones and put them over your cochlea. Like, you can do that. Or there's some devices that essentially can Bluetooth into them. Right, right. Like, super, super cool. But it's just things like that were very nitpicky for me. Where Mm. it's like he's all of a sudden, he's like, oh, no, I can't enjoy music anymore. (laughs) When he hears her sing for the first time, it's like, buddy, like, is this the first time you've listened to music? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I didn't even think of that necessarily, but I mean, that that is a good point. I, I, you know, I, he he'd already been living with it for some time at that point. Uh, you want to know what my other one nitpick actually is in regard? It, it kind of relates to those. And but before, before I ask you more about some of the other technical parts of it, which I guess I don't know, I guess we covered. But you want to know what one of my other nitpicks was uh, re- regarding that corner of the movie was that after after Joe kicks him out, but before he has them activated, it kind of skips over that four week period. Uh, I mean, it's, it's implied that he doesn't have a lot of money, but then they kind of show him at a motel. So it's like, I guess he maybe had the money to get to a motel. I don't be, he somehow all of a sudden it's like, he doesn't seem like he has any money. Yeah. I don't know. All of a sudden he had, so he scrapes together just enough money to get the implants. Once Joe to like, let him stay still needs four weeks until he activates the things. So he somehow has enough money to, I mean, I don't know, get by for four weeks or, and then buy a ticket across the pond. It wasn't like, even though, uh, Lou's dad had money, he, he was surprised. It wasn't like they paid for it. Uh, so I was like, that's kind of weird because so much of this movie, and that's the one point, big point I actually didn't really make yet that I, I actually should have just made in the first part, first part before we, uh, before we moved on. But I think it's really impressive in how it's also a movie about addiction as much as it's about all these other things, because yeah. We see early on that he has, like, even before, not even necessarily, like, with falling off the wagon, but he does have some self-destructive tendencies in that he uh, in that he goes back to play even after he has the first meeting with the audiologist. And at that point, I'm like, all right, this guy clearly, I mean, maybe not the best judgment, but he never actually, at least we don't see him, get super close to relapsing. Because, and that, I think, informs a lot about, like, how bad it was before. Like we, and they, they but kind at of the imply. same time, though, addiction therapy, you replace that's the whole idea of, you know, AA is that you let go and let God instead of being addicted to drugs, you're addicted to God. All you right. know, maybe he was addicted. 
Well, they make it very clear he was addicted to Lou. Well, right. Well, but the thing is, like, I think that community does him well, though. Like, he has that support group once he gets there, and it, it ends up working okay. But the fact that, like, he we, we don't really see him – there's not a scene where he's close to, like, you know – taking drugs or drinking or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think it says a lot about what he was before. And we get hints about what his life was like before he met Lou. And it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. it must be really bad that like he is embracing this and actually, okay, fine. Actually signing off on it. I mean, Lou doesn't leave him much of a choice necessarily, but the fact that he ends up embracing it and we don't see him that coming that close to relapsing tells you a lot about just how bad it was for him before and how he knows how bad it could get for him if he doesn't take Mm -hmm. it seriously. But at the same time, the, the point at which he would have come the closest to having any kind of relapse would have been those four weeks when Joe doesn't let him stay and he doesn't, Lou is not with him. He has no support group around him as, that we know of. And the movie just kind of like jumps over that time period. I would, I mean, this is already a two hour movie. I understand like them not making it like way, too, way, way longer. Cause I mean, who wants to sit through a two and a half hour movie? Uh, but I kind of would have liked to have seen a little bit of how he got through that time. Uh, it just seemed like everything we learned about him to that point made it seem like, wow, this guy is pretty on edge and really has always had Lou. And now he's gone straight from having Lou to having this community that has now said, sorry, like we love you, but because of what you did, you can't be here anymore. At that point, I would have thought it would have had like a, a some kind of pretty negative effect on him. And it kind of skips over that. It's, it's, it's kind of, it was the one nitpick I had on my first viewing. And again, I still really liked the movie, but I was like, based on everything we know about this guy, I would have liked to have seen how he managed because uh he's never been on his own uh since you know finding lou yeah i mean my nitpicks are more of that you know clinical side of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i have issues with the whole like okay well how did he get money for a hotel how did he get money for a plane ticket you know but mine's like why didn't the audiologist tell him what he was in for <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, so that's no, but... my, well that and it also my nitpick is a nitpick at large, not a nitpick at the movie, hmm. is that everyone's like, oh, yeah, he totally has hearing loss. Let me try to talk to him, like, kind of thing. And that's just, that's part of that depiction of, you know, what he's experiencing. Well, prob- yeah, probably. Because our natural form of communication is to talk to one another. And that's all he knew. So, like. Even though they would try to write with him, that he would speak in response. And, you know, that's another piece that they're showing that contrast. But for me, I'm just like, oh, my God, everyone else, figure it out. Just, like, text it to him or something. Well, yeah, and (laughs) it's probably just a good example of how people can be kind of ignorant of the – um, uh, just of what that community goes through, that no one really realized that, like, hey, it might not be the easiest thing to have a bunch of people in in his face at a party. Uh, and, uh, I mean, and just going back to the actual sound mixing of it again, you already talked about how you thought they did a pretty good job of just based on your experiences and, uh, ever putting one of those things around your ears, they did a good job of recreating that digital weird feeling. Uh, but again, I thought, I'll just say, I thought it was off putting in a very effective way. Like I felt super uncomfortable just being around that party and I'm like, oh wow, like he must really be going through it. Well, that's part of it. Cause I mean, within our brains, we have, you know, we have regulators essentially. And when you bypass that pathway, your regulator isn't there. So if we're at a party, we can tune out the person next to us having a conversation so we can pay attention to who's singing across the room or we can block out, you know, the music playing in the background so we can, you know, talk to the person next to us. Like we have those regulators, but if you bypass, your system, like with a cochlear implant, like you're not going to have that regulator. You're not going to necessarily have, you know, things that like quiet down background noise. Like, yes, hearing aids implants are becoming, you know, a lot more advanced where you can have some regulation of sound, where you can have some regulation of background noise, but not all of it's there yet. And so for all of that, just all the environmental sounds being so loud, so tinny, you know, all you can't really decipher. It takes a lot of mental work and you see him in that party scene, especially like, yeah, he gets frustrated because he can't hear Lou. Like he wants to hear her. He can't enjoy the music the way he wants to enjoy. Um, but 
you can see even before that happens, he's starting to get frustrating because it is so much work to decipher that signal when you don't have an unconscious piece like we have, you know, with the regular normal pathway to block out what you don't need to hear. You have to actively do it. So so in light of what it puts him through in that final scene and at that party, as you just mentioned, how did the ending ring true for you, if it, if so, if it did? I mean, uh, we've mentioned Lou a few times. She's played by Olivia Cook, who is a who's a really good actress. You might know her from, I don't know, Thoroughbreds or Me and Earl and the Dying Girl or a couple of the things she's been in in recent years. And, I mean, it's a it's a pretty heartbreaking scene when they have their, uh, their final moment when they're in bed together. But uh, did it kind of, like, make sense to you, and did you uh, – um, that he would ultimately uh, make that choice, given everything we had seen to that point. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, where he's been so integrated in the deaf community and he went back into the hearing world, mm-hmm. and he wasn't the same person in the hearing world. He couldn't interact with it as he had in the past. And, you know, like I said before, that big theme is acceptance, where, you know, in that moment, He's like, you know, thank you for this journey. Thank you for getting me out of one of the darkest places of my life. And then he just stops. He takes out the cochlear implant or his, yeah, his cochlear implant. And he sits in silence and he accepts that silence. And I don't know if you recall, but Joe was like, you know, you need to get to the point that you can just sit and sit in silence. Right. And that's what happened in that final scene. You know, he's like, I don't care if you, you know, you write whatever. He's like, but you need to be able to sit in silence. And he tried to reinsert himself into his old life and into the hearing world when he realized how much of that silence has become part of him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, it's, I don't know. I think it's even more heartbreaking because of how understanding everyone is and how empathetic everyone is in sure what what country are they in? They're in Europe. Are they in are they in, They're in Belgium. Belgium, right. I forgot. Yeah. And uh, everyone everyone's so nice. I mean, it's like uh if, if they had been like less understanding towards him, it would have been like oh man, this would be like a really easy call, but like, uh, Lou is like super patient. Like there's a version of this movie, I think where like, she's like living her best life and is like upset to see him show up and is totally moved on. And she hasn't even really gotten there yet because she doesn't have a full understanding of everything that we just discussed and everything that like, and just what kind of community he has been integrated in. Cause she wasn't able to hang around there. So, uh, I mean, she's kind of like thing like, oh, he did what he needed to do to get fixed. And uh, now he can just kind of uh, now we'll be able to somehow kind of be together. And she uh, was even though even though she maybe had some understanding that it wasn't going to be super easy necessarily, he was going to have to have some adjusting. She was she she had waited for him. And I, I, I was kind of assuming like when we saw that other footage of her and stuff and he showed up there. I'm guessing you're kind of conditioned in moments like that in movies to think like, oh, like this person's going to show up thinking everyone's going to be happy to see them. and They're not going to be wanted. And he was actually wanted. And the dad was even really nice to him and even talked about how, like, at one point he wasn't a huge fan, and which is not hard to understand why that would be the case, given what we know about Ruben around the time they would have gotten together. So it's like the dad's really nice. She's really happy and willing to, like, be there for him. And it's it just it just can't quite be the same again. And it's really really uh crushing but at the same time it, uh, it's also kind of a warm thing we already talked about how it's a warm movie when he's first in that community but the fact that he you know has, has found it's an adjustment but he's found enough comfort there to like be at peace making that decision and i think it's it, yeah, it's pretty I mean, powerful i think it's this it's a real life story there's not a villain mm-hmm. there's not a hero it's people you know living their lives and sometimes things suck sometimes you find new places to be you know sometimes you grow apart from people you grow apart from the person you who you were and into the person you you know are going to be and I think that's a lot of what's happening here it's not so much that oh no they broke up it's like they just they grew into different people over this time like they had that conversation where he's like, oh, you're not scratching, you know, and saying, like, he sees she's in a healthier place, you know, he's realizing 
you know, his deaf community is a healthier place for him. And they're both like, okay, we're now better versions of ourselves in the lives we're in. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, so that's, you know, thanks for the memories. Thanks for helping me be the person I am today. Thanks for getting me out of the darkest time in my life. But like, I need to go be who is the best version of myself. Yep. Definitely. I think it's really well done. Uh, Kayla, do you have any other final points you'd like to make before we uh, wrap this up? Any other corners of this movie? Any other uh, clinical thoughts that we I didn't touch on that you want to you wanted to make sure we covered before we wrapped up? Um, just I really really like how they depicted the deaf culture and how easy it is to connect. Because I mean, think of it as I guess the best connection I can have is. Um, you're an immigrant in a new country. You're going to gravitate to the people who speak your language, who share your culture, who share your experience. And that's what happened. That's why this group of addicts and deaf people were able to connect in that way because they're this microcosm of people who are speaking the same language, who are sharing the same experiences. And, you know, I really appreciate how that's done. And truly, I am so impressed reading about, you know, the production of this. So, like, in the movie, he is actually signing. He's not just, you know, doing some kind of hand mimicking. He is actually signing. And so it says here that he did two hours a day for eight months wow. learning American Sign Language. Yeah, you know, one interesting thing about Riz Ahmed is that, I mean, he has not been, like, the starring guy in a lot of movies. He was really good in Nightcrawler, if anyone ever saw that, which was the first time a lot of American audiences saw him. But, like, in two, and in The Night Before, too, right? Yeah, so I mean, he, I know so that's more he TV got, you know, so, Right, but. so he got to be the lead in a TV show. He was one of, like, a few main people in the movie Four Lions, a British comedy in 2010 about some wannabe terrorists. I know that sounds weird, but... Yeah, he hasn't been like the main guy in a ton of movies. So one, I think he wanted to. He's obviously going to take it seriously on that level. But two, like, uh, you get a lot of criticism if you like half-ass something like this when you're representing a community like that when you're not a part of it. So I mean, uh, it behooved him to take it seriously, and good thing he did. Yeah, I mean, I I really liked how they showed the sign language lessons because, like, for me, it really brought me back because that's how I learned. I learned, you know, how they were doing oh, you don't do this with your hand, you do this kind of thing. And, you know, the game that he was playing with the children where you would spin around, you'd stop and point, and then it's, you know, you have to make an elephant. That's what it is. Hmm. It's like you have you do your two hands for the trunk, you do the ears to either side. And so it's like those are those are games that deaf children play. That's how you learn sign language. And I thought that was a really, really great thing that they showed him learning. And as he learned, you see his anger diminish. You see him smile more. You see him be more relaxed. You know, see him incorporate and integrate and support and draw tattoos and, you know, all these other things as he's learning. And I feel like that's really representative of him learning about this new version of himself. Yeah. And side note, yeah. um, the lady who plays Diane. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, she's really good. She is a deaf actress. Okay. She was in The Walking Dead, and she was um, the lead in Children of a Lesser God, where she was nominated for awards. Oh, I don't. I actually didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Well, the Broadway play of children of a lesser god oh okay gotcha gotcha yeah i i, I that, that was the other only other thing i was going to add before we signed off was that they well we didn't talk a ton about the school scenes and she's a big part of that and you were just talking about how it's you're, you're impressed by how they could show how how happy the, the people in this community could be and just all those classroom scenes are really well done i think the actress that you're referring to her name is lauren Riddleoff, is a uh, really big part of that and i really enjoyed her performance she just has a very she had a she just had a very inviting presence and uh it seemed like she just comes across the way her facial expressions and her signing just work together to make her just seem like such a nice person you'd want to be around and that those kids would be want to be around that they would be happy around that 
uh, Ruben would ultimately come comfortable around. Like I just, I, it, it totally made those scenes really, really resonate with me and were a huge part of this movie not being what I was worried it was going to be. Like I said, I was worried it was going to be an angry, loud movie the whole time. And the classroom scenes are like the antithesis of that in the best way possible. Yeah, I mean, that's how you see him soften, essentially, is by working with those children. Um, you talked about the facial expressions, but actually that's a marker of American Sign Language. Oh. Those facial expressions are required to understand the meaning of what you're signing. I didn't know that. Yeah, you weren't, weren't yeah. teaching us here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, wow, you know, it seemed really, really inviting because it is, you know, that's, that's essentially the tone of what she is signing hmm. is that facial expression, that very kind, soft facial expression is essentially her tone of voice. Gotcha. Again, I think we all recommend that you, everyone watch this movie, tell someone that hasn't seen it to watch it if you already did, because I think it's a lot of people, like I said earlier about myself, I think a lot of people might have had a preconceived notion about it when they saw the poster or saw the name, and it's it's probably not what anyone thinks it is exactly when they first just look at it. So definitely encourage anyone else that like um, maybe prejudged it to check it out, because I think it's a really, really nice movie. Uh, Kayla, before we sign off, anything else you want to recommend to the listeners, things you've been watching recently uh, or just anything else you wanted or reading or listening to or anything you want to direct people to um well i've already watched bridgerton through like three times so if you haven't watched that you know just take a weekend binge enjoy that i've been reading a praxis study book but i would not recommend that Mm. at all but for fun reading um my friend put me on a series that starts with the Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Moss, and it's very good. Hmm. Highly recommend that. I'm on the second book, and they are not thin books. Gotcha. Well, I, I was going to recommend a movie, but I'll also recommend Bridgerton because I watched it at Kayla's recommendation, and I think there's a uh, you know if a if it's just like a 30 year old dude. God, that's weird calling myself a 30-year-old dude, but I am 30 now. If a 30-year-old dude can get into that, then I think most people probably can too. It's 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 a lot of fun, and the performances are fun, and uh, it juggles a lot of different tones and gives you a lot of what you might want if you're just watching a uh, costume drama about 19th century uh, England. So I think uh, anyone can really enjoy it. A lot of people obviously had. I think it became one of Netflix's most-watched shows at a certain point in the last couple of months. So highly recommended that. Uh, so if you like Jane Austen and Gossip Girl, it's your show. If you like Marvel, WandaVision. Ah, yeah, WandaVision's uh, doing good things these last couple of weeks as well. Uh, as usual, if you want to uh, find anything more about myself, uh, my Twitter and Letterbox are both uh, Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Uh, podcast Twitter is at RewindMoviePod. Podcast email is uh, TheRewindMoviePod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're probably going to have either a podcast on Judas and the Black Messiah or one that covers both the final To All the Boys I've Loved Before, forever, Always and Forever, Laura Jean, and Malcolm and Marie. Some combination of those three movies coming out you in the next uh, two weeks. Don't really know what. Thanks to Kayla for joining and we'll see you next time.